So if you have kids, you definitely understand this, but I think the concept goes beyond just having kids. You know that feeling when you're in your house and it gets really quiet, but it shouldn't get quiet. You know what I mean? Where you're used to the normal sounds of your house and it's pretty noisy with our family, three kids and a dog. It stays pretty noisy, stays pretty loud all the time. So anytime that that sound goes away, anytime that it gets really quiet, we immediately think something is what? Wrong, exactly. So this happened, this was years ago. Uh, my wife and I are just busy doing house stuff and we feel that sense. And then we stop talking, we look at each other, it's like, it's too quiet. What's happening? Something's probably wrong. So we immediately stop what we're doing and start searching for our kids because there's no way they're that quiet and not doing something wrong. It just doesn't make sense. So we start looking around and we're walking through the house, we're hollering for our different kids. We finally go down, we call it the art room just because it is always a wreck and marker. So we figured if we call it an art room, it sounds better than just like the messy room. So we go into this art room, turn the corner, and there in the corner is my middle son with a Sharpie marker, head to toe, covered in Sharpie marker. And we say, that's why it was quiet. And yes, we were right, that something was definitely wrong. So, of course, we immediately start like, wait, 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 you don't have the Sharpie. And I mean, I'm talking face, arms, legs, totally covered in Sharpie marker. And we said, well, we said a lot of things. But what we finally said that I will share with you is this phrase, I hope it comes off. Because I'm like, I don't know how we're going to send you to school looking like that. I don't know how we're going to go to church with you looking like that. I don't know how we're ever going to be seen in public again if you are looking like that. So we said, I hope it comes off. When we use the word hope in that context, which we use the word hope a lot like that, it's really like we're crossing our fingers, isn't it? I hope the Sharpie marker comes off. Because I'll be honest with you. I didn't really expect it to come off, but I was sure hoping it would come off. And if you've seen my middle son Cole running around, you notice that you don't see too much Sharpie marker on his face anymore. But we do that. We say, I hope, and it's more of a wish that we're asking for. Hope oftentimes is viewed in the context of more wishful thinking. So we cross our fingers and we say, I hope we have good weather. We say, we hope we get a snow day. I hope I get that job. I hope I'm able to stay true to my New Year's resolutions. I hope I pass my test. I hope it works out. I hope this year is better. That kind of hope, the fingers crossed, wishful thinking hope is how we usually, and I would say often, view hope in our lives. But the biblical definition and the context in the Bible for hope could not be more different. It's not wishful thinking. No, the, the hope in the Bible, the biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation, not a wishful thinking. It's confidence is held in Jesus and Jesus alone. And there's an expectation there that he is faithful, that he is good. All the things we just sang about this morning, that we have a confident expectation that he will do exactly what he said. That is hope. And it's that kind of hope, not fingers crossed, wishful thinking hope, but it's that kind of hope that we have as an anchor to our soul because that's what hope is intended to be, an anchor for your soul. Hebrews 6 actually tells us that. You don't have to turn there. Let me read it for you. Hebrews chapter 6 says this. 
We have this hope literally as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, meaning it's not going anywhere. You can anchor your life to it, and no matter what happens, it is firm and secure. If you literally go a page over, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, listen to this. Let us hold unswervingly or tightly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That's biblical hope. Not I hope this works out. Not I hope it gets better. No, my hope is an anchor for my soul. And I have confidence. I have a confident expectation. And I hold tightly to it. See, what I'm noticing in, in my life, and I'm sure you could relate to this, is there's this big difference between what we hope for versus what we hope in. What we hope for is all the things. We hope for things to be different, right? That's the wishful thinking. My hope for you, as we go through today and, and this month, this entire series is called High Hopes. We're trying to figure out what do we put our hope in? What do we hope for? What does hope mean and what does hope do for us in our lives? But I hope we would move from hoping for things and hoping for things to change or hoping for things to work out that we would move to hoping in. So what do we hope in and what does that hope look like and how do we begin to, be, to, to hope in? That's what we're gonna talk about the rest of this morning. In fact, there's a, a passage out of Psalms, Psalms 39. If you do have your Bibles, I would tell you to turn there because this is gonna be helpful for you to walk through this with me. Psalm 39, there's words from David, King David, David and Goliath, if you know the story, where he writes about hope. But it takes him a little bit to get to the place where he kind of figures it out. And I think that's us. We're trying to figure it out. Well, what am I supposed to put my hope in? What am I supposed to hope for? And again, the questions of what am I supposed to do with it? But again, the biblical definition of hope is confident expectation that we can anchor our souls to. David alludes to that. Let me tell you the end of where David goes, and then we'll tell you how he got there. Psalm 39, verse 7. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? What a great question. I want you all to be asking that question this morning. Okay, God. Where am I supposed to put my hope? What am I supposed to be hoping in? Where is my hope? David answers in his own question. He says, my only hope is in you. I want you to say that line with me. Say it with me. My only hope is in you. So where do I put my hope? He says, my only hope is in you. So that's where he gets to. He gets to that place. But we have to go back to verse one so we can actually see how he got to that place to be able to answer his own question. So starting in verse one, notice the progression. Notice where he's at and how he gets to the place where he puts his only hope in God. Psalm 39, verse one. Here's the beginning. David's words. It says, I said to myself, I will watch what I do and not sin in what I say. I will hold my tongue when the ungodly are around me. But as I stood there in silence, not even speaking of good things, the turmoil within me grew worse. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting a fire of words. Do you hear the situation he finds himself in? Now, we don't know exactly what his problem was, but there was obviously a problem. We could all insert our own problem there. 
that verse 1, 2, and 3 for David, whether it was a situation, an illness, whether it was a problem, an issue, a frustration, something was causing him to just get fired up. And he even says, I'm going to hold my tongue. I'm going to try not to say anything. I'm going to actually, I'm going to make sure I'm not even going to say anything at all. Not even the good things. I'm going to keep my mouth shut because if I say anything, it's not going to be good. So he says, I keep my mouth shut, but then something is just growing and building inside of me. The turmoil, the frustration says it is ignited in me. So he's, he's wrestling. Can you feel the tension? He's wrestling with whatever it is that he's dealing with. So insert your problem there. Your problem, your situation, your issue, your fill in the blank. Because now what do we do with that? What is David going to do with that? He's building this up. He says, the hotter I got, igniting a fire of words. So he blasted it all on social media. There's a little plug for you. I won't go down that road. He says, no, no, what happens next is super important for us. Because David does and sets a great example for each and every one of us. When we get to that place where we don't know what to do, when we're dealing with all the problems, whether it's in our lives or whether it's on the external of our lives, he shows us how to move forward in a godly way. So notice what he does. Here's all the problems. Put that in your context. Fill in the blank. Here's what he did. Verse 4. He prayed. Here's his prayer. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows, and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. And then we get to his conclusion. So that's his prayer. That's his, his observation. And then his conclusion is what we read in verse 7. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? Where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. That prayer, that progression of getting David to a place where he first asked the question, where is it that I put my hope? Out of all these things to put my hope in and all the things that I'm hoping for, because obviously David was hoping for something and it wasn't working out. That's verse one, two, and three. I'm gonna keep my tongue tied. I'm gonna not say anything. I'm gonna try to fix it. I'm gonna try to overlook it. I'm gonna try to get past it, but I don't know if I can. All that turmoil all the issues and problems, the situation, the circumstances, again, you fill in your own blanks. What do we do with it? And what we're hoping for isn't working out. This prayer that David prayed, verses four, five, and six, lead us to a place where we can say, what David, say exactly what David said, that my only hope is in you. So I want us to look at that prayer. There's two parts to it that are gonna help each and every one of us, regardless of your situation and what you're dealing with, to help us, find hope, and more specifically, what we should put our hope in. So go back to verse four and five. The first part of his prayer, he says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You've made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. He's talking about perspective. He's saying, all the things that I'm dealing with, all the things that I'm hoping for, all the things that aren't working, he said, remind me of the bigger picture. 
So what I would say to you is remember the scope of your life compared to eternity. Look at your life, but look at it with an eternal perspective. Each and every one of us in our lives have good things, bad things, good moments, bad moments, good memories, bad memories. We have events in our life that move us forward. We have events in our life that feel like it pulls us backwards. Our entire lives are full of ups, downs, highs, lows. You get the picture, right? What happens oftentimes is we get fixated on one part of our life, good or bad, and we, we can't get past it. So maybe this weekend was a rough weekend. Maybe this morning had a fight with your spouse and, and you're just fixated on it. You can't move past it. So that problem that you're thinking of right now is right there. You see it? Hang on, you can't see that one. One second. Let me pull it out here for you. There it is. There's your world's biggest problem today. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying it's not a problem. I'm not saying it's not a big deal. Because this, whatever it is for you, is very painful right now, isn't it? It is very hurtful. And it feels like it's turned your world upside down. You don't know how you're gonna get past this. You don't know how you're gonna move through it. You don't know how this is ever gonna work out for something good. You can't imagine your life now because of this being thrown into your life. So we get fixated on those small things in the grand scheme of things, but in the moment we all know it doesn't feel small. And again, I'm not saying it's not a big deal. It most certainly is, and I'm sure it feels like a big deal. But what David is saying, what was happening in his life was most certainly a big deal. So he says, God, help me see the bigger picture. Help me to look beyond just the one thing. Let me see beyond my life. Let me see it in comparison to eternity. So I asked Google a question, because if you want an answer, Google's got a lot of answers on there. So I asked Google a question. Honestly, I didn't think I'd get a legit answer, and I did. Here was what I asked. I said, Google, how many grains of sand are on the earth? I mean, that just seems like an extravagant question. I asked Google, and I got an answer. Here it is. Here's according to a research group in, at the University of Hawaii. They estimate, I want to I emphasize the word estimate there, because I'm not convinced this is an accurate number. But they estimated that there is 7.5 quintillion grains of sand on the earth right now. Beaches and deserts. I did not even know quintillion was a number until I did some research this last week. That's a lot of grains of sand. And so when we look at our one life, whether that number is accurate or not, with I have my suspicions, can we all agree that it's part of something much bigger? And what happens, again, we fixate on just these parts of our life, and then everything can be turned upside down when another one gets thrown in. Oh, I can't believe that just happened. Did you see that? Did you? You didn't see it. One more time. Hang on. Watch carefully. Oh, my world is turned upside down. Do we see the bigger picture? Again, I'm not suggesting that what you've experienced is not harmful or impactful. It most certainly is in this glass. But David's prayer reminds us, and he's begging God to remind him, Help me see my life compared to all of eternity. Paul writes in Romans chapter eight, he says, I consider that our present sufferings 
are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that will be revealed in us is talking about our eternal life in heaven with him forever. So yes, our present sufferings, whatever present suffering you are dealing with today or in your life or are still unable to get past, I, I hear you and I get it. But can we see that there's something so much larger and so much more vast when we compare it to all of eternity? Remember, the scope of your life compared to eternity. So that's the first thing that David does. I've got a problem, I've got an issue, and it's boiling up inside of me, and I'm, I'm on fire, I'm so mad, I'm so frustrated, I'm so hurt, I'm so betrayed, I'm so disappointed, whatever words you wanna throw in there, the first thing he does is, God, help me to see my life compared to eternity. Help me to put this in an eternal perspective. The next thing he does, verse six, he says, we are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. He's still kind of talking about this eternal perspective, but he shifts to compare eternity and earthly things. So he says, God, help me to see eternity. Help me to have an eternal perspective. And then he makes this observation of, man, all the things that we're spending our time and money and effort and energy on, all the earthly things, like it doesn't amount to anything. He uses the word nothing. All the money that we heap up, who knows who's actually gonna spend it all. So what I would say to you, what I hear David getting at is that we need to value eternal things over the earthly things. That doesn't mean we can't value the things here on earth. No, it's, it's a priority. It's value the eternal over the earthly things. Once again, we get caught up in all of these earthly things and we, we put all of our value there instead of flipping it upside down. No, the things of God should be our focus, our priority, not saying we don't care and we don't add value to the things on earth, but which do we value more? Christmas was a couple weeks ago. I, like many of you, tried to find the right gifts for the right people, Parents, kids, spouses, friends, all the things, right? So for my wife, she's just been a rock star. I mean, she always is, but especially this last year, started a new job all during quarantine, has just been like working super hard, has done an incredible job. She's always an amazing woman, but especially this last year. So I'm like, I wanna do something extra, extra special for Becky. So I was like, I need to get her a, a, like the best gift in the entire world. And I know I was setting like myself up for failure just by saying that statement, but I wanted to make sure that she knew how much she was loved and how special she was. So I finally figured it out. I knew what gift I was gonna give her. There was a table that I have heard her talk about literally for years. I don't mean an exaggeration years. I mean, years and years and years and over the last several years of our marriage, she has talked about this table that she wants to put somewhere in our house. And every, every time she talks about it, I'm like, okay, well, you know, like, go get it. It's, it's a table. She's like, no, 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 we need to do something else or let's spend our money somewhere else or I want this instead. So she's always talked about this table, but she's never actually gotten it for herself. So I was like, I'm gonna get this table. And then it dawned on me, I don't know anything about this table. She's been talking about this same table for the last several years. I'm like, I don't know where this table is at. I don't know what to even look for this table, what store. Like, I don't know anything about it. I just know there's this really awesome table my wife wants. So I hijack her phone and I start looking through. And I think I found the table because it's all bookmarked like multiple times. And I'm like, okay, this has to be the table. 
but I'm not positive. But I think it's the right table. So I text some of her best friends, and I'm like, so has Becky ever mentioned like a table she absolutely loves? And they're both like, oh yeah, it's this one table. And I'm like, first of all, that's kind of weird that you guys know that. <laughs> Second of all, I'm right. So it's the same website, it's the same store. So I go to buy the table. And I get on the website and I'm going through the whole thing, getting all the shipping stuff done. And then they ask me a question and I stop dead in my tracks. What color table? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, how many choices do I have? And there's two choices. And I'm sweating bullets. And I'm like, man, this is supposed to be like the best present. And I've like hyped it up in my mind. Like this is going to be a super great surprise. So I have this dilemma. I can either guess on the color of the table or I can ask her what color and totally ruin the surprise. I'm like, no, man, it's worth the risk. So I choose what I think would be her table color of choice. And man, I had the whole thing planned. So like it got shipped and it had to get shipped by this big old truck and it got shipped to our next door neighbor. So he was in on this big surprise. And then we had Santa text Becky on Christmas day, say, sorry, I couldn't get it down the chimney, but it's now at your front door. Like it was this whole thing. She goes out to the front door and she sees the table and she's almost in tears. It was beautiful. She was so excited and she couldn't believe that I did that for her, that I actually listened to her. And I actually pointed that out multiple times. I was like, that's the table you've talked about for many years. I listen. And then she opened it up and she went from ah to oh. I said, Becky, what's wrong? You know where this is going, don't you? She says, I love it, except the color. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's the thought that counts, right? I mean, I knew you wanted a table. I guessed my best. I did my whole thing. Now, you need to know that the problem has now been solved. We went and took it back. We got the right color, which it's now being shipped, so all things are good. I'm still a great husband. But here's what Becky has learned over the years, to be disappointed. <laughs> she just had to learn it. 12 years of marriage, she's learned to be disappointed, and that's okay. But I would say the same is true for all of us, right? We've all learned to be disappointed. Your spouse has and will disappoint you. Your kids will disappoint you. Your parents will disappoint you. Your boss will disappoint you. Your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, your pastor, your church. You will be disappointed. Why? Because the things of this earth disappoint. They don't live up to it. They're not perfect. We are not perfect. So for David to say, I want to value the things of God over the things of this earth, he's saying, I'm not going to put my hope in what will disappoint. The things of this earth, I promise you, will disappoint you. And if you don't think they have yet, just hold on. Because it's going to. Once again, it's the difference between the hoping for and the hoping in. Would you just think for, for me for a second? What are you currently hoping for that hasn't worked out? What are you currently hoping for? You are hoping this will happen. You will hope, you're hoping this will change. You're hoping this will be different. You're hoping this is the year. And so far, it's not worked out. That's disappointment. We value the things of God over the things of us more than the things of this earth. So that's where David was at. He was dealing with some problem, some issue, some situation that was causing him disappointment and frustration. 
So what did he do? He prayed, and his prayer was, remind me of my life compared to eternity. Help me to see more than just this. Help me to see all of this. And yes, what has happened is important, and yes, it does matter, but in comparison to all of eternity, help me to have an eternal perspective. It says, help me to value the things of God over the things of man. Help me to value the things of eternity over the things of earth. And then he gets to that question that we've read several times already. And so, Lord, where do I put my trust or my hope? Where do I put it? After I've seen this eternal perspective, after I've looked at all that we focus on on this earth and it ends in nothing, like, now where do I put my hope? So what do I do with this? And he answers his own question, like we said. My only hope is in you. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. My only hope is in you. Keyword there, only. It's not some of my hope. It's not a majority of my hope. And, and I would imagine that oftentimes when we're thinking of putting our hope and our trust in Jesus, that it's I've got one foot in hoping in God, and then I have another foot of, well, I'm still hoping in something or someone else. It's not an only. We say, well, I, I hope some in God, but I also hope some in these other things. I've got even a majority of hope in God, and just I keep a little hope and a little trust in other places too, just in case. If that's you, if you've got one foot in both, one foot in hoping in God and one foot in hoping in anything or anyone else, let me tell you, you're going to fall. You can't stand that way. David says, my only hope is in, not for, but is in you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 tells us this about our hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into, listen, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. I said earlier that the biblical definition of hope is not wishful thinking. The biblical definition of hope is confident expectation. Do you know where that confidence comes from? You know what we are confident in? It's the resurrection. It's because of the resurrection. Jesus, in his time on earth, he said, I have come so that you may have life. He says, I have come to die for your sins. And he said, I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to go to the cross, but don't worry, I'm going to come back. I'm going to raise from the dead three days later. And then he told all of his people, us included, he says, when I die, your sins will be forgiven and you will be given life. He says, whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. He gave a promise. Our confidence in that hope is that he did it. He did die for our sins and he came back to life. So when he looks at me and says, Brian, I'm gonna raise you to new life and I'm gonna give you eternal life. I'm like, I believe you because you kind of did it for you. So I believe you can do that for me. The resurrection is what gives us confidence in that hope that eternal life only comes through Jesus. That our inheritance kept for us in a place that never fades, never spoils, can never be taken away. 
When we put our hope in Jesus, we're putting our confidence in him and the promise that he's given us. The promise that you and I will be given eternal life if we believe in him. It's John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have, what is it? Eternal life. So where do we put our hope? Our only hope is in him, in Jesus, who gives us eternal life. Throughout the gospels, there are seven I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. You probably know some of these, I am the bread of life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the light of the world, like those types of I am statements. One of those I am statements is found in the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend and follower of Jesus who became very sick. So Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, they sent word to Jesus. Said, Jesus, Lazarus, your friend is very sick. Would you please come and heal him? Come and help him. We know you can. We're asking you to come and help him. They were hoping for something. Jesus' response was a little different than what they expected. Instead of coming right to Lazarus' side, he actually stayed where he was at for several days. By the time Jesus got to where Lazarus and Mary and Martha were, Lazarus had been dead for four days. You can imagine the scene and the hurt and the heartbreak, the disappointment, the grief. So upon coming into town close to where Lazarus' house was, the sisters ran out to Jesus. And I would imagine that that running out to Jesus was different this time than it had been before. This time, maybe not so much excited to see Jesus, but more this time, Jesus, where were you? In fact, that's Martha's words. In John chapter 11, you can read the story of Lazarus. Verse 21, as Martha ran out to meet Jesus, she said this, verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, if you had done what I asked you to, if you had, done when, if you had shown up earlier, if you had done what I had said, things would be different. It wouldn't have ended like this. It didn't have to be like this. I sent you word. I told you about the problem way ahead of time. It's almost as if Martha is saying, we were hoping for a miracle and it didn't happen. We were hoping for a healing and you ignored us. We were hoping for an answer to prayer, but you gave us a no. Martha was hoping for this to be different. She was hoping for the situation to be changed, for the result to have ended up differently. So in the midst of her hopelessness, in the midst of her grief, in the midst of her disappointment, don't miss what Jesus said back to her. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am, there it is, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He doesn't say, I'm the one that gives life. Do you catch it? He says, I am life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me has the hope of eternal life. Do you believe this? It's an important question Jesus asked her. It's a question we need to answer ourselves. Because what you believe about eternity 
determines how you live your life today. What you believe about eternity determines the kind of hope that you have today. And like we said when we first started, the hope that is an anchor to your soul, that is firm and secure, a hope that we hold on to without letting go. We hold on to our hope that's only found in Jesus because he's the one that can only give us eternal life. So let me ask you the question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? For some of you, you have put your hope in a lot of things. You're hoping for a lot of things and you find yourself continually disappointed. You're gonna keep being disappointed until you put your hope in Jesus. Start there. Start with him, the resurrection and the life. Some of you have put your hope in Jesus, but you've maybe let go a little bit. You've been focusing more on these grains versus all the grains of sand in all the world. You've lost your perspective. Maybe you've turned it upside down a little bit and you're valuing the things of earth instead of the things of God. Flip it around, seek first the kingdom of God. Where your heart is, there your treasure will also be, Jesus said. Can you hold on to the hope that's only found in Jesus and hold on tight? And let that be an anchor for your soul. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for the hope that we have in you. Not the wishful thinking, fingers crossed kind of hope for things to happen or things to not happen, for things to work out or things to be different our hope, the hope that is an anchor for our soul, the hope that we hold on to without letting go is the hope in you and it's the promise of eternal life. So give us an eternal perspective. Help us to constantly see our life in comparison to eternity. That our present sufferings, like Paul said, are not even worth comparing to the glory that we will experience when we are with you in heaven. That we will remember, as Peter said, the living hope that you have given us we can have and enjoy and experience and live right now. Hope that is only found in you. Because of your resurrection, you give us life. So Jesus, help us to put our hope in nothing and no one else. May our hope, like David said, may our only hope be in you. In Jesus' name.